chapter 12. We're finally in the 12th chapter of Mark. We have to chapter 16 before hopefully we leave to Rome. But I thought, again, I'm watching this. I don't know if you ever heard of the, uh, the series called Drive Through History with Dave Stotts. You can find it online. Uh, it's really helpful. I think we had our ADS class watch that at times. But he's, he does this new series, um, Drive Through the Gospels. And uh, we started watching Mark as a family. And I uh, found it just to be so helpful. Again, just a reminder of even our journey to Rome. Um, as Paul desired that in the book of Romans. You remember reading that yourself. Um, I took us through last week to uh, uh, just going through the Paul's journey to Rome and that he wrote the book of Romans in Corinth, most likely on his third missionary journey. And he went to Rome eventually uh, through the, the southern part of Italy and finally arrived there. And Luke and, uh, and the end of Acts said, finally, we're in Rome uh, because he knew Luke being his companion, knew how much it meant to, to uh, Paul to go to Rome. Finally was there. It wasn't exactly what he thought it was going to be. Uh, it, it, he found himself being arrested under house arrest there for two years, but he got to write four of our epistles as we, we have in our Bibles today. Um, and then also he got released and then um, he was writing then uh, to Timothy to this last, the last book of the, of the New Testament, or the, at least his writings in Second Timothy. And it was such a rich time last week to, to even go through just the timing of the Lord going through that passage together on authority that we do have authority to go to the nations. Um, we, you might find yourself in that place again at some point where you're like, why do I go? Why are we going? I mean, what's the point of this? Is it just get another stamp or passport? I mean, what are, we, what are we doing as a church? Is this just like some sort of big old travel uh, church that, you know, experiences new things. But no, we have authority to preach this gospel that will transform people's lives. That is exactly why we go. And we have authority to do that. Jesus says to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. He actually says that in the, uh, the beginning of Acts, if you remember in Acts 1.8, he said that be my witnesses in all these places. Be my witnesses here in Orlando. Be my witnesses in Tampa. Be my witnesses in D.C., San Francisco. And then also be my witnesses in Rome and the nations. And so we do that as a church by obedience. And people ask, so much missions. I don't know why I'm cutting it out. It might be me. Um, as they say, you're kind of a hot mess. You ever hear that saying? So I kind of feel like this morning. <laughs> oh, well, I'm like hiding in the corner. And I, I feel like I'm ready to come out and do like a little little dance and a little little song for y'all. But of course, I can't dance and sing, so I figured I'd come out and preach. So, but, <laughs> but, um, but anyways, all right. So, uh, hopefully that will work. If not, someone's going to have to go get me a microphone, unless you want want me to take eternity to find one uh, with my crutch. So, but, but anyways, uh, we're we're he- we we are called to make disciples. We are called to go to the nations. And uh, I've just thought, like I said last week, was just such an incredible time of coming out out of Rome and just seeing God's perfect timing with all this. What God has put on my heart this morning again just mirrors the scriptures in the next place of our uh, of, of Mark in chapter twelve, um, a parable of the vine growers. You might be very familiar with that and reading that before, um, and in other parts of the. It's, it's also repeated um, in the Synoptic Gospels, but. The Lord is patient with us as a church. And, you know, with all this, I guess you could say activity, 
We have so much activity in our church. I mean, it's, I mean, when we get our text messages for the announcements, it's ridiculously long. You know this because you get those in life group and it's like, how long are the announcements? It's exciting. It really is. I mean, we're doing a lot as a church, but let's not forget um, why we're here. Let's not forget the, the, the need that we have for God's mercy. And that's what we're talking about today. The need for God's mercy. Uh, the title of the message um, is how do we respond to God's patience? He's incredibly patient with us. And we'll see that as we unpack this passage. But again, I want to remind you who, who is Mark speaking to? He's speaking to the people in Rome. Again, what a perfect timing uh, this gospel uh, sermon series is. All right, let's pick up in verse 1, chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under, under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and then went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent an, them another slave and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others, he had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, to them saying, they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and he will give the vine, vine vineyard to others. Have you not read in the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected? This came, became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and, it's marvelous, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were asking to seize him and yet feared the people for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. You know, I, I've mentioned this before because Jesus over and over and over again, he tells his disciples that he's going to die. This was not going to be a surprise. So this parable along with his teachings of knowing that he's going to die. In fact, it says in John 17, 18, I lay my life down that I may take it up again and no one has taken it away from me. In other words, this wasn't a surprise. We cannot blame necessarily the Romans or the, the, the religious leaders for this, although they're culpable. But Jesus knew that this is, was going to happen. This is why he came. He knew that he was going to die for the sins of this world. And so he died on his, on his own initiative and he has authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. John 12, 27, uh, his soul was troubled. Uh, and then he said, Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came for this hour. And then there's a plethora of scriptures that I could go through. I'm not going to do. But that the scriptures point that Jesus knew exactly why he came. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And this parable illustrates, he, he knows that he is the son in this that is going to be killed uh, by these people. And so the leader's desire to murder Jesus and his understanding uh, tie together perfectly in this parable, uh, tie together uh, for us to um, understand exactly why Jesus came. And so let's look at the first, so just a simple outline. The first one, uh, first nine verses is the parable. And then uh, verses 10 to, through 12, what does this mean? We'll make some sense of this. So it's fairly simple. This is based on Isaiah 5, 1 through, t one through 2, uh, or actually the whole, the whole uh, 
passage there in Isaiah 5. We're not going to go through that. But Jesus is referring to that if you want to go ahead and look at that later. But he talks about a vineyard, talks about the, uh, the owner of the vineyard and what happens. And then where's the fruit as a result of, of this vineyard? He would expect that there would be much fruit from this. And so verse 3, we have an owner and a hired slave uh, to check up on the vineyard. This is very, fairly normal in that time. Uh, and then the owner would receive the proceeds from uh, the vine growers. And so they, uh, and the first, first guy that they came in contact with, so the, it's pretty simple. The owner said, okay, I'm going to hire these guys and uh, vine, uh, vine growers, and I'm going to hire slaves to come back with my proceeds and so that they would bring me the money back and also the fruit with it. Um, but the owner was shocked to find that none of this was happening and that they, he was, they were, these vine growers were killing the slaves one after another. The first one in verse 3 says they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. In the Greek, it's, it's more like the, uh, they removed his skin. Uh, they were vicious. Um, this was uh, pretty graphic. Uh, they refused to pay the owner something that was due to him. And then in verse 4, the owner sent the second slave to collect money. Uh, He didn't didn't get a chance to do that. And the Greek, uh, it's uh, bashed his head in. It says they they went ahead and sent another slave and wounded him, which is to bash his head in uh, and treated him shamefully. Um, This is would have been shocking to the people to hear, just to hear something like this. This should have never have happened. Uh, Verse uh, five then, it says that he sent another um, and that they killed, they went ahead and don't just beat him or treated him shamefully, but they went ahead and killed him. And then in verse six, it says, or verse five, uh, it says maybe four or five, who knows? I mean, six, seven, eight, I don't know how many, but the owner just kept sending more in hopes that uh, the vineyard growers would say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna send back the proceeds and treat the slaves, the hired slaves uh, mercifully, correctly. Uh, and then verse six says he sent one more, his beloved son. Um, I just want you to see, this is a, this probably shouldn't take no more than 20 minutes, this message. It's very simple. Uh, it was very convicting for me this week. Uh, very convicting of other, for, for me to watch others over the course of the last 10 years. In fact, just even in this church plant, the last 10, 11 years. The owner is incredibly merciful and patient. I mean, how many is he going to send? How many warnings is he going to give? It just, it, it, you could just see this, and that's what a parable does. It, it takes everyday life situations so that we can learn a spiritual principle. I mean, it's just obvious that it's patience. God is so patient with you, with me, and then he sends his son hoping that they would take care of him, uh, but they, of course, take advantage of him because he, they could now gain some money and pretty much gain the whole vineyard because if the, the law of the land was basically if it was unclaimed for three years and the people were on that property, they would eventually uh, retain the, the property themselves. And so they went ahead and killed the son. I think it's interesting that they killed him uh, outside the vineyard they gave him no proper burial. He cons- uh, was probably consumed as roadkill. Uh, and so what a shameful, shameful, shameful way to die. Um, and then in verse 9, 
Uh, Jesus <clears throat> asked the, the question which he asked all of us, what will the owner do? What will the owner of the vineyard do? And they were in Matthew 21, 41. You don't have to turn there, but they were outraged. The, the Pharisees, the people that were listening to this message, he says, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. Little did they know, this is the beauty and the, the wisdom of Jesus. He basically gets them to self-indict themselves. I mean, it, it's, it's so, it's actually kind of comical in a way. It's almost like the, the member, if you, if you remember when David committed adultery and then murder, and then they tell the parable and David's like, they should die. And then Nathan says, you're the man that should die. You know, in that moment, indicting himself, indicting themselves. And Jesus then agrees that the owner of the vineyard would come and would destroy the vine growers and then give the vineyard to others who will then till the land and bring back the harvest. And so they condemn themselves. And then Luke 20, verse 16, he kind of puts some of these pieces together. They say, may it never be. It's pretty much the strongest negation in the Greek language. May it never be. No, I, this cannot be. And they indict themselves and they are still realizing that they, they have some level of conviction. They have some level, they, they're, they're, their consciousness has obviously been pricked, but they don't want to do anything with it. And they don't even want to own up to it fully. And then to make sense of some of this, just to, as you're kind of looking at, uh, you know, a play, you kind of, you have the different character, cast of characters, and, and Jesus begins to uh, give them the meanings of this. The, the owner of the vineyard is who? It's God, right? It's God. The vineyard, we could find that in Isaiah 5. This is God planting his vineyard. Um, the vineyard is Israel. The vine growers are the religious leaders. Uh, the shepherds who should have taken care of Israel, who have showed them the way, who have preached the messages of the scriptures in the Old Testament, taught them about Abraham, Moses, and David, and showed them what it's like, what it should look like to follow God. And of course, they did not do that. They put heavy burdens on the people. Um, They were a distraction. He cleansed the temple as a result of that. And then the harvest time is when God expected to see spiritual fruit, which he will expect to see spiritual fruit on all of our lives. This is a message for all of us. It's an incredibly convicting one. And he says uh, here that, they, that the owner was expecting to find much fruit and instead they produced worthless grapes um, in the Isaiah passage and rebellion, Isaiah 5, 4. They, rep- reprodu- they produced rebellion and uh, they didn't have anything to show for themselves. And then the slaves represent the Old Testament prophets Moses to John the Baptist. God is incredibly patient to us. It's incredible how many times he sends us warnings. Warning after warning after warning after warning for our sin. To get us out of our sin, you know. You know exactly what your sin is. You know exactly what that very thing that God continues to warn you over. He, you know, he, he warns you so graciously, so mercifully. And he just shows you maybe in different, he has different angles. Maybe it's not the same exact voice, same exact thing, but he tries 
to bring us back to repentance over and over and over again. And what do the prophets do? They just mistreat and kill. I mean, they, the, the, what do the religious leaders do? They mistreat and kill the prophets and they've done that for years. Isaiah was killed, Justin Martyr, not Justin Martin. We have a Justin Martin here. Justin Martyr from the first century, uh, second century, reports that he was sawn in half with a wooden saw. Can you imagine that? That's what they did to God's merciful prophet to hard hearts. Jeremiah was falsely accused, uh, thrown into a pit, eventually stoned. You can read that in Jeremiah. Ezekiel, was, he faced hatred and hostility. Uh, Amos was forced to flee for his life. You have Zechariah who was rejected. And Micaiah was struck in the face, if you remember that story in 2 Kings. These guys were not treated very well. And what happened to John the Baptist? And then eventually what happened to Jesus? I mean, I can't help but think of us going to Rome. I can't help but think of us going to a very secular campus like UCF to warn people that the wrath of God is coming, to warn people to turn back to God that he would be merciful and kind to them and save them from their sins so that they can go to heaven with him. That's not an easy message to, to swallow. We're not going to be liked. We're, we're, we're not, if you're preaching that message, if you're just preaching God loves you, you know, has a plan for your life, whatever, then I suppose you'll be liked to some degree. Won't, people won't be helped. But if you're preaching the true gospel message, the, 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 the last 12 chapters that we've gone through in this, in this gospel, if you're preaching the true message, you're not going to be liked. This is exactly what, we could go down the list and there's more. You're not going to be well-received. It's going to be hard. Why don't you turn real quick to Matthew 23, 31. This is from the the mouth of Christ. Again, showing he knew, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And in verse 31, it says, so you testify against yourselves that you are the son, you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? It says, therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge or whip or beat in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may fall the guilt of all righteous blood and shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And I love Again, even though there's judgment, there's mercy. And you see that in the scriptures over and over and over. If, if you must balance in your reading. And I love what he says here. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and the stones, those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. That's exactly how we go to the nations. That's exactly how we go to our campus. That's exactly how we go to Tampa. It's exactly how we go back to our families at Thanksgiving. There are consequences for ignoring the warnings of God, but there's also grace and mercy. If they have a pulse, there's mercy. There's grace, there's opportunity to continue to come back uh, to Christ. But then he says, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. 
For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Christ is, he knows this. He knows what is going to happen. He is not fooled by this. And he tells the people, the bystanders, those listening, listen to this parable. Because I would imagine if you pause for a second, you could, you could think of right now, you could think of examples of how God has been so merciful to you over the years specifically with your own sin. And you could, you could think of ways that you have, you have been a warning to people, maybe through text messages. Oh, would you come back to life group and people ignore you and ignore you and ignore you and ignore you. How many times has that happened to you? I, I mean, I, it's, I, can't even, I can't even count the amount of times that has happened to me in the last 10 years, let alone all the times through youth ministry for years of pleading with students, please don't turn to sin. It's gonna destroy your life. Please don't sleep with that person again. It's going to hurt you. You will pay the consequences for that. I, I mean, I, just, I, I, could, I could sit here all day and tell you stories of people ignoring the warning signs over and over and over again. Don't ignore those signs. And please be gracious when you are sending out those warnings to others through text messages or through, through meeting with them in person saying, and pleading with them, please don't, don't give in to that sin. Don't see your conscience one more time. It's definitely grieved me this week just thinking about all the people that have kind of even been through our church. I know we're talking about a 10-year anniversary, right? I mean, what, a, what an incredible celebration. And it is. I mean, I celebrate everybody in this room. I celebra- celebrate all the people who have been with us since the very beginning. It's, an, it's incredible. We're gonna do that in two weeks. We're gonna celebrate. And, and in one sense, it makes me uncomfortable because it's just 10 years. You might think, well, that's a long time. And it, and it is for some people. But I mean, then there's the 20-year and there's the 30-year and there's the 40-year. And then I'll be dead and then someone else will take over and then the 50 year, the 60 year. <laughs> and it'll keep going. And maybe it'll be somebody in this room who will take over. But it cannot be a compromised life. But I also, at the same time in 10 years, I can't help but think of all the people who just said no to Christ. Not to this church. I mean, we've made mistakes and I'm sure people left probably for the right reasons because we were just trying to get it together. But I'm talking about like people who just, would just say, I don't want any part of that. I'm not interested in any of that. That, I mean, that grieves Christ. That should, we're part of his body. We're part of him. He lives inside of us. That should grieve us. And, but yet we should always still be gracious and never give up because you never know when that person will finally get the kindness that you're giving them and that God's giving them to lead them back to repentance. You just never know. And I love this. He says, he, he switches the metaphor. He goes from vineyard and then he goes to building. And if, if you know anything about the cornerstone, it's a very important piece. Uh, and he, he brings this uh, he, many of his listeners would have known this comes from Psalm 118, 22. It says, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone and this came about from the Lord and is marvelous in our eyes. 
What is he talking about? What is, getting, what is God so happy about right here? How can the owner of this vineyard be so happy yet so grieved? This is our life. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I'm on a constant daily basis. I'm grieved and I'm also rejoicing because you're dealing with people's souls. You're hopeful that people will be saved by this message just as you got saved. But you're also grieved because people continually reject this thing. But he's not bothered by it because the, the, the builders, the, the, the ones, these, these people, these vineyard growers, the, the slaves that the, uh, were, were beaten, they were coming, they were saying, please don't reject, don't reject the owner. Don't shame the owner. You're gonna pay for this at one point. And, God, and the owner could have sent an army. He could have sent an army to destroy every single one of those vineyard growers. And by his mercy, he did not do that. He sent his son. He sent the most precious, precious one to these evil, evil, evil people. And that's you and I. We can't just look at the religious leaders and say, oh, it's those people. I, for most of my life, as a teenager, as a kid growing up, rejected warning after warning after warning. I went to Catholic school. I saw crosses on the wall. Those are warnings. That's God's grace. Even though it was a false gospel, I didn't even know the difference between a false gospel and a true gospel. At some point, I heard about this person dying for my sins, and I rejected not until I was 18. And God in his mercy did send another slave to me. My cousin who shared the gospel with me. And I did not reject that slave. I rejected many others. But for whatever reason, in God's mercy, I didn't reject that one. And he kept sending him over and over and over and over again. Little did I know people were praying for me. Little did I know that people were believing that I would be saved at one point. That is exactly how we need to act. We are the slaves. We are the ones who go out. We are the prophets. We are called to to go out and share. They're going to reject us. They may even hurt us. But we continue to do that. Knowing because he's saying like, he's, he's grieved, but he's excited. Why? Because you can't stop Jesus. The, 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 the ones who, the, the builders or the religious leaders, whatever illustration you want to use, the vine growers, although they rejected Christ, they stumbled over him. They lost. They foolishly lost. And eventually a lot, many of them did perish into hell. But they beca- he became the chief cornerstone. Look, Jesus can be two things for you. He can only be two things for the whole world. He could either be the judgment stone, which you'll stumble over, and many people have, and many people will. Or he could become the chief cornerstone, the anchor in your life. The, the, the foundation of your life. You either just trip over this thing and die or he could be the very thing you stand on on judgment day. What an incredible opportunity to, to just say, I, I have no other choice but to, to give my life to him because I don't want him to be my judgment stone but my savior, the chief cornerstone. What else is he excited for? I love this, that 
as we move on, the next verse, Psalm 118, verse 22, but Psalm 118, verse 23 and 24 says, the Lord is, you, you've, you've probably read this so many different times. Um, I think it, uh, it might be even on egg cartons. I don't know. But this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What is he excited about? He's excited to bring these Jews and Gentiles together in the church. In other words, he's excited about a new church being birthed in Rome and other places in the world. That there will be people who reject, but God is so excited because he's still saving people around the world. As dark as it might be, as dark as it is, Isaiah 60 is very clear. As dark as it is, there's still light. Let your light shine, right? Arise and shine. Get up, shine, go, be a light. Be a light on Halloween. Don't just sit at home. Be a light in Rome. Don't just sit at home. Be a light. Go, arise and shine. I've, it's amazing how the, the, the Japanese people still wear those t-shirts that we gave them. Arise and shine. That was our theme for that year. It was in 2019. It was our last international mission trip. I think we should bring those shirts back. Let's give it another, let's give it another one, right? Give it another round. Let's bring them back. Make them Italian colors, like, you know, red, white, and green. That'd be kind of awkward running around with those. But whatever, I'm, there's, there's better designers than me. I don't necessarily do that. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll figure out something. But arise and shine. Arise and shine. He's excited about saving people. Don't, don't just focus on the darkness. Focus on the fact that Jesus is the chief cornerstone to many more in this planet. Oh, he will be a stumbling stone to many, but he's going to be the chief cornerstone to many as well. I have three take-home questions for you this morning. Number one, are you continually ignoring God's repeated warnings and reminders? Over and over, the, the servant was sent back empty. I, as a preacher, or others who come here and preach the word of God, or the, or the, the preachers you listen to on YouTube, do not send them home empty. Do not send me home empty. We are James 1 people. We want to be doers of the word, not just mere hearers. How many sermons? I mean, can you imagine? Do you know that God knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever heard? Can you imagine just at one point just seeing like, okay, here's all the sermons you've listened to. And here's the life that should be lived according to those sermons that you listen to. Like maybe it's more like this. It's pretty sad, isn't it? How much are we applying? How much are we taking? As, I mean, God has been so gracious. To, he's giving us so many warnings, so many warnings. I mean, just think the time, like that perfect message that you needed to hear to overcome maybe some sin habit or something in your life or someone came in your life and, and sat with you and talked about whether it be, I just sat with somebody the other day about finances and just talked to him about, about finances. Those are warning signs. When people get into your life, they sit there and they say, this is what the word of God says. If you don't take it, it's on you. It's on you to apply this message. And I can't help but think of how many sermons, how many things, how many people in my life, the kindness of God in my life, have I actually taken him up on that? Have I actually let that melt my heart, transform my heart so that I would listen and not only listen, but apply 
and ask God for help in that. Number two, are you convicted but unrepentant? Is your conscience pricked, but you're, there's no lasting change? I mean, listen to this. Stephen Charnock says, many, there's a Puritan, many have been reprieved that were never forgiven. Do you know, you could be like the Pharisees. They listen. They, these religious leaders are like, they knew. I mean, it was clear as day that Jesus was telling this whole parable about them. This whole thing had to do with the vine growers. And they're like, no, that's me. And remember, this is Holy Week. So like two or three days later, they killed him. That's convicting, guys. Like that you can listen to a message now, be convicted, and on Monday, totally be hardened again. It is so possible that you can know that this message is about you. This is possible to sit here week after week, to listen to messages on YouTube, to listen to your parents, to listen to people over and over, your spouse, your kids even, who warn you <laughs> through God. <laughs> or, you know, God through your kids. <laughs> but it's crazy to, to think that God is sending you so much. Maybe it's just like you open up your mailbox and it's the book that you forgot that you ordered and you now have an opportunity to read this message and you're convicted by it, but unchanged. He also says it like this. Another theologian says, God's forbearance is no acquittance. And he's, he's not, he's not going to acquit you just, just, uh, uh, just because he's patient. He's patient with everyone. But we have to cry out for mercy. Cry out to mercy and say, God, would you change me? Because again, remember what repentance is. It is a change of the will, it is a change in the emotions, and it is the change of the mind. My mind, my mindset is changed when I'm, when I, I actually hate that sin now. And I desire good things. I desire uh, the things of God. Do, have you experienced that yet? And also another theologian, William Sicker, says this, Though the patience of God be lasting, yet it is not everlasting. I don't know, but it's kind of a scary thought but the, that this could be the last time you hear a warning from God. Do you ever think about that? It's a little heavy, but this could be the last one. Please don't let it be the last one. Take, up, take God up on the offer of his grace and mercy. Number three is how are you responding to God's patience? right now. Romans, if you want to turn there quickly to Romans 2, I think it's a very relevant passage, and you've heard this before, um, maybe preached at some point, but Romans 2, this was Paul speaking to the moralist. He was saying that those who have it all together, who think they have it all together, he says, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. You who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But you do not suppose this, O oh man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and, and you do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Listen, or do you know, think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Just think about this. Every time, like I, I, I can't help but think, of the time when, um, 
when we needed a car, like Nicole and I, both our cars, 1989 Honda, and I had like a 97 something um, Altima. And I remember the, my grandmother passing away and giving us, my, my dad who needed the money, I'm sure at the time, but he just said, hey, we're going to give you a, a portion of this money that, that your grandmother had left behind. And uh, we, bought, we bought cars, we bought two cars with those, with that money, and we were able to be debt free for that. I just think of the kindness. He didn't have to do that. Just the kindness. And when I think about times when I have to, you know, give or to generously give, I think, I think about those moments, how people were so generous with me. How can I not be generous with, with others? It's just, it's, it's like that. It's just an illustration to show you how, how, we can, how we can pause for a moment and just think about God's kindness. How he might have healed you from a sickness. How he might have healed you from something, um, you know, that, that, you, that you've been battling for a long time. And all of a sudden, by the grace of God, he heals you maybe through medicine, through surgery, through whatever. Just the miraculous healing and hand of God. But then, and then all of a sudden, you, 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 you know, you, you do the very thing that got you into that trouble. Again, for whatever it is. And you th- say, wait, his kindness led me to repentance. Am I being ignorant of that? I don't want to be ignorant of that. I don't want to live my life ignorant of his warnings. Let's pay attention to them. And that's what he's ultimately saying because then he says in verse five, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to their deeds. I said a statement last week, you are saved by works, but it's not your works. You're either going to die because of your deeds in hell or you're going you're to cling to somebody else's deeds, not your own, but you're going to cling like with everything you got to Christ's deeds and claim them as your own. Saying whatever you did right, Jesus, I claim them as my own. And when I'm judged, I'm judged based on Jesus's deeds. And that's how you get to heaven. Amen? That's what we all do if we want to receive his mercy and ultimately salvation. I have a few more things here. Uh, I think it's worth noting Romans 5.20, the, the law shows us our sin, but you know what? Grace is much greater. This isn't a message to condemn. This is, there's, there's no condemnation in this if you look to Christ. I was thinking about like, when's the last time you, you know, you just, you allowed the gospel message just to melt your soul? And realizing none of us deserve this. None of us in this room deserve anything. We all, I mean, if you're, if you're married, that was the grace of God put you in a wonderful marriage. If you have kids who are healthy and, and born and here, uh, they're living a healthy or non-healthy. It doesn't matter. The fact that God gave you this child is a gift. What a gra- what, that's grace. That's grace. You have a house. You have, you have actually, you, you're, most of you guys are going to be going out to eat after this, although you shouldn't save your money to Rome, but that's okay. That's another thing. But, but, but it, like, you're going to go out to eat. The fact that most of the planet uh, would not be able to even think about doing that. There's no way they'd be able to even spend $10 on a meal times two. They live on like less than a dollar a day. Again, this is not to bring guilt. It's just to say, like, why us? Why have you blessed us so much? It should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to live more holier lives. Amen? I love what Thomas Watson says, and then we'll close here. 
Every time you draw your breath, you suck in mercy. Isn't that great? His little pithy sayings, if you ever picked up a Thomas Watson book, go ahead and do that. Just, yeah, some of you guys are doing that now. You're sucking all the air out of this room. But God's mercy can drown great sins as the sea covers great rocks. It's just pictures and images of like, man, I think my sin is so great. There's no way he'd be able to cover that. But he can. He drowns your sins like he drowns great rocks in the vast ocean. He could cover your sin. He's already done that on the cross. The tree of mercy will not drop its fruits unless shaken by the hand of prayer. The fact is all of us know what to do after this message, right? We stand to our feet, we worship God and we cry out for mercy. And we just say, God, would you be merciful to me? You've given me a lot of warnings. You've given me a lot of great life group leaders over, this, over the last so many years here. You've given me a lot of great disciples, disciplers, people, roommates, who've just, by little subtle ways, they may not even know it, but God has warned you. He's warned you to be more generous, to, to, uh, to be more pure, uh, to be more kind, more giving, more loving. He's warned you so many times. And the greatest warning, that's just for all those who are saved. The greatest of all that Perhaps you're sitting here or you know someone that is not saved. If you can think about their lives, you can't help but think of Romans 2. How God has shown them common grace after common grace after common grace after common grace. But yet they've rejected this chief cornerstone and which has become a stumbling block to them. And you need to cry out for them that God's next warning would hit their heart like it never has before. And they would be saved. Amen? Let's believe for that. Let's believe. You can never, I love Spurgeon, you can never drag mercy out of Christ as a money from a miser. He's so merciful, right? God is so merciful. So if you need his mercy this morning, um, just reach out and grab it by prayer. He wants to do that. And if you need prayer too, by, yeah, just come up front. We'll have some of the elders come up here um, and just pray for you. Or maybe it's not even for yourself, but um, for, for those who need to be saved this morning um, in other parts of the, of the states or internationally, people that you know that need to be saved, need you pray for them. And keep in mind those Italians that heard those messages in Milan, that, that, that kindness that through the pandemic, if it would have never happened, the pandemic would have never happened, they probably would have never gotten an open door. There's no way. Like I said, the Reformation never hit Italy. The fact that they had 12,000 people hearing the gospel was a sheer miracle and the kindness of God saying, would you listen to me and be saved? Because this is your opportunity right now. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us warning after warning and that you've shown us your kindness. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we hear it every day uh, and we know it and we acknowledge it. But some of us, uh, we don't hear it. We don't hear the subtle warnings to change and be transformed, to take your word and to apply it, to be doers of the word. And we pray for, uh, even for myself, for others, our family, our kids, our, our coworkers, neighbors and family and grandmothers, grandfathers who've maybe spent 80 to 90 years plus just going through life 
ignoring the warning signs that you've so graciously given them. I pray that you'd open up their ears for the first time. God, be merciful to all of us that you've been so patient patient and long-suffering. And we thank you, Lord, that you've done that to us and our families, done that to our church, been so gracious and merciful to our church over and over and over. With all of our mistakes, with all of our shortcomings, you've been so merciful to all of us. We thank you for that. Father, move in this church. There's a lot of things that we have to do, a lot of money we have to raise, a lot of uh, appointments we have to make with to get all these things done, but we do need your help. We do need your wisdom and dis- discernment. Um, make, help us to make the most of every opportunity. Uh, help us to present our lives as a heart of wisdom to you. This is, it says in, in Psalm 90 verse 12 or Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 that these days are evil and we can, we can easily give in to sin because we have the flesh along with us as it says in Romans 7. But help us to choose the Spirit. Help us to be people of the Spirit, knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that be the kindness we've received to thrust us into a life of holiness, into a life of generosity, into a life of kindness and love towards people, into a life of wholehearted commitment to your purposes. And we would not be apathetic. We would not be lazy, ignorant, prideful. Let us be people of humility here. We thank you for that, uh, that you will work and move in our lives as you want to answer these types of prayers that we pray according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.